<clears throat> yeah, so I had no clue of the gospel uh, until I was 16. The only two things that really mattered in my life was um, school and sports. And um, I had a pretty clear stand on all the dope hats out there, and I uh, thought they should all be sent to prison. And don't ask me why, for whatever reason. When I turned 16, I thought, well, maybe I should try it out so I actually know why I don't like them. But uh, I did, and unfortunately, I liked it. And I'm a pretty simple guy. If I like some, if, if I like something, I do it, and I usually do it right. So if it's the right thing, that's good. If it's not, it's terrible. So um, my career in an area that is nothing glorious um, was rather rapid. Um, come age 17, I went, well, I qualified for an exchange student program and um, went to the States. Uh, I didn't want to particularly go to, you know, learn a lot of stuff at school. I wanted to play American football, which I did. So um, I kind of stopped my drug career for a while there. Um, came back age 18, was completely bummed out when I returned to Switzerland. Ran into an old friend of mine who used to be, well, I know this is hard picturing, but I used to be a long-haired hippie at that time. Not here. Here, I actually had hair. <laughs> uh, you know, just wanted to go burn a doobie with him. And he used to be one of the... Doobie is before their generation. Oh, okay. That's... Uh, doobie is, is... Okay. Sorry. Um, you can tell I'm old. Uh, just wanted to smoke a joint with him. Grass, weed. Um, and we were the kind of guys, you know, where your parents tell you, don't hang around them. They're bad news. So this friend of mine, his name is Thomas... He's like, oh, I know, I stopped. And I'm like, what do you mean you stopped? You don't just stop. What happened? And at first he didn't want to tell me. And then eventually he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I go to church now and I believe in Jesus. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So I thought, no, man, you're not going to get away easily. I'm going to give you a hard time, you know. Well, he was a young believer, Eventually, I stopped giving him a hard time, and he gave me the gospel as good as he could. Um, and I always, basically, age 15, 16, I, I thought there has to be more to life than maybe have a good life or a bad life, and then you die and worms eat you, and that's the end of the story. I thought if that's everything, that's nothing. I had no idea what it was going to be, but I wanted to find out, and when he gave me the gospel, and I know this is not very common, but we sat there for seven hours. When I got to tell you this, because I think it's a funny touch to the story, because he gave me the gospel. I started understanding, and, and I really felt like this is the key to unlock what I was looking for. And I saw I'm a sinner, and that's a problem of my life. But I also asked him, I said, but, you know, don't I have to be better first and, you know, get things in line and then God will save me? And he said, no, you can't. It's, it's by grace. It's through faith. And I said, well, but you know what? I really like smoking weed, but I don't think God likes that. I mean, it's okay to get saved, but still like smoking weed. And he's like, 
And you can debate about it, whether it was theologically correct. In one way it was, because it said, yeah, you know, God will show you as you go. Which is true, you know. None of us has complete understanding of our sinfulness. We actually never will in this world. So I thought, well, if that's okay, then yeah, I want to get saved. (laughs) No, really. You weren't ready to leave your weed at the altar. Well, at that moment... Not really, but honestly, I never smoked weed again from that day on. And it was really funny because the high school I went to, people kind of knew me. And I was taking care of a few things there. And then I came and told them that I believe in Jesus. And they're like, man, he's been smoking some weird stuff, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> no, really, they didn't believe me at first. I'm like, no, this is serious, okay. I'm... Not on some funny trip here. Uh, And uh, so my life changed dramatically. Um, And the really cool thing is, I would say looking back, that was in the year 1987. That's before three quarters of our congregation was born, so. Yeah, but don't worry, it wasn't the good old times. There, were, there are no good old times, okay? Good old times stopped in Genesis 3. <laughs> well, it's true. Four people, one of them kills his brother, okay? No good old times. It's, it's, we kind of have a way of looking at the past that is not really the way it was. But anyway, where was I? See, there is some stuff that I'm, some uh, brain damage. No, where was I? <laughs> You're radically changed. You're totally different. (laughs) In those days, a lot of those guys, most of us churchgoers, you know, we switch sides when we see them. But a lot of them got saved. And I really think we got to be careful not to fall into the same trap as the Pharisees because they accused Jesus that he... He was hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, but they knew they were sinners. So there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, we're naturally not inclined to talk to them. But uh, God takes great glory in saving those who are really down and out and just turn their life around. I'm, I'm I'm a trophy of God's grace. That's all I can say. So he saved me. I got involved in the church. Unfortunately, I must say, it was a church that was doctrinally very weak. Um, And I tell you why this was a bad thing. Age 20, I traveled to Chicago. I looked at Moody, uh, Wheaton College, and Trinity College uh, outside of Chicago because I wanted to be a youth pastor. Like I said, if I like something, I want to do it right I was offered a full-ride scholarship at Trinity College, playing football, American football for them, came back, basically just had to sign the papers, ran into a friend of mine that I knew. He asked me to go smoke a joint. Don't ask me why. I did, and I didn't give him the gospel. And for me, drugs and everything related to it was the sin of my life. You know, everything that goes with it. And the church I attended at that time taught that you could lose your salvation. So I was convinced I blew it. I I looked at myself as, well, you're the the dog that returns to its vomit and the pig that returns and just 
jumps in the dirt and is happy, you know. So I thought, you're a hypocrite. You blew it. I didn't doubt the Bible. I was convinced the Bible is true, and I was also convinced, figuratively speaking, I was going to end up really low in hell where it's really hot because I was one of the idiots that knew it and blew it. And then five years followed, nothing glorious. You can't imagine a guy with my past thinking he's going, is on his way to hell anyway, nothing to lose. And that's how I lived. And um, that I'm sitting here talking to you, and I make sense, I hope. Um, it's just by the grace of God, because medically speaking, I sh- there was a few incidents I should not have survived. So um, God was good, kept me in those five years. And it was after five years, I weighed about 70 to 80 pounds less than what I weigh now. Really bad shape. Uh, been up for days, standing in the mirror in the mi- uh, in the bathroom in the middle of the night, looking in the mirror, just wearing shorts. And I thought, dude, you're gonna go on like this. You're gonna die here, really, for sure, pretty soon. Or you're gonna go to prison, but this time it'll be big time. And I don't know why, in that very moment, after five years, out of my head, totally fried. For the first time in five years, I knew God would forgive me. That he'd be gracious. And uh, I slept for two days. I called a few friends. Said, you got to help me. I'm involved in a bunch of stuff that I got to get out. And I won't be able to get out of it on my own. And by God's grace, he helped me get my life back on track. Get things organized. Age 29, I got married. Now I'm father of six children. And God... 20 years after I wanted to study youth ministry, brought me to seminary, second chance, amazing grace. Well, we just see, Martin, the testimony when we look at long term, that through eternity, God is a God who does not give up on his children. He's a good father. His timing is perfect. He's sovereign, and he does not let go of us. Thank God. And we see that. What you've experienced, I say experienced, you know, in that time of saying, okay, I've sinned, which you knew you did sin, but then I'm disqualified, I can never be forgiven, and you were at a church that sort of perpetuated yeah, that a little yeah. bit. I think many people have gone through, I think you're not alone as far as walking through those church experiences, but also those who feel that way. In fact, we hear it fairly frequently. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm qualified, I'm not good, I shouldn't, you know, your your sermon this morning spoke to that, but... Can you speak to a little bit of that that mindset that happened at that time and why it's not of the Lord, where, where people come and say, okay, I mustn't be saved, I, I'm totally disqualified, and instead they retreat into darkness rather than coming to the Father who offers forgiveness and a second chance? Well, we're all disqualified. That's what qualifies us to get saved. The only reason to get, the only way to get saved is acknowledge that you're complete loser you have nothing to offer um and there's a natural tendency in us to want to be more than we are boasting i was talking about it this morning and um it's hard to acknowledge that there's no good in us but there really isn't and um it's actually the most freeing thing there is because 
if our salvation would depend on us following through to the end, heaven would be empty. None of us would make it. Because in Hebrews 12, it speaks, well, it talks about God being the author and the perfecter of our salvation. And he is. He started it, and he will bring it to pass. He will bring us to glory. Philippians 1.6, Paul is encouraging the Philippians by saying, He who started a good work in you will also bring it to pass. Or it's like Peter. You know, Jesus told Peter, you will deny me. Peter said, no, I won't. Those guys probably, but I won't. And he fell. But Jesus also told him, I have prayed for you so that your faith will not fail. And he failed miserably. And many of us do. But God never fails. And Jesus even told him, I said, you will fail. I have prayed for you. And then he says, and when you've come around, you go strengthen your brothers. I don't wish anybody to experience what I have. But sometimes the things that God brings to our lives help us relate to people who go through similar situations and just have a little bit more empathy for them than what we would have if our life as Christian would have been just one stellar ongoing progress. Amen, brother. Amen. Let me ask you through this period of time how you got connected with Gabi and you know, the family life. Married. Um, I'm not just connected. I'm married yeah. to her. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Connected in that special way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I met her at work. Uh, it was funny. I, w- I worked a job, and someone else came and told me, hey, why don't you come work for this company, which was, Sorry to say, supposedly a Christian company. You know, there's no Christian company. There's just companies, and hopefully if there's Christians, you realize they're Christians. That company, um, they were um, headhunters in the sense. You know, they're looking for people to, um, like a company is looking for someone to give them a new job, but they don't want to go on the market themselves, so they go through us. So I started working there, and, um, you know, I lived in the world. I've seen it all. I come to this place. I think they're Christians. That was just awful. No, really. There was all those people working there, supposedly Christians, most of them married. Flirting going on like you would not believe it. It just shocked me. It was really, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I basically walked in there, did my job. Didn't hardly speak to anybody and left. And um, Gabi was working there. She was uh, one of the secretaries. Um, never spoke to her, really. One day, <laughs> the, the place where we could park, uh, our cars was about five to ten minute walk from the place we worked. So we parked there at the same time. So I had to walk to work with her. And I'm thinking, well, it looks stupid if I whistle for 10 minutes, you know, like. <laughs> so I guess I got to talk to her. <laughs> so 
So, you know, what do I talk to her? Well, it was the World Cup in soccer, so I thought, that's a good way to strike a conversation with a woman, you know, talk about soccer. <laughs> Obviously, there was a lot of sanctification, Martin, not just on we, but that's what it women was. too. That's what it was, you know. <laughs> and she liked... When God's working for you, no one can work against you. Yeah. That's the lesson of that. She liked soccer. I mean, she really liked soccer. She didn't just pretend she liked it. So we're talking about soccer. Uh, I asked her, so what are you doing in the summer break? Uh, at that time, I was uh, leading uh, children camps on some Spanish island for Spanish kids who basically didn't even know who their parents were because it was a complete party island, and those kids were basically abandoned. So, um, Which island was it? Um, Ibiza? Yeah. Been there? <laughs> I have a past, too. Sadly, I know these things, but anyways... So, and then she told me, well, she's going to go um, work at a children's camp as well. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And um, at that time, I had, they hired me at that place. And, you know, I'd gone to university and I had good education, but I had no idea about computers. And I told them, and they didn't believe me. They thought I'm choking. I, I was terrible. So, you know, I was 29. I wanted to get married. But that's what I wanted. I wanted to get married. I didn't want to have a girlfriend or a romance or anything. So obviously I'm, I'm looking around and I thought, well, she's, she doesn't seem to be that bad. So I asked her. Set your standards high, Martin. Well, sorry that you asked me. I'm just telling the story, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I asked her if she could help me on the computer, just, you know, put everything together, the program for the youth camp that I was leading and everything, which she did. And um, I thought, well, that gives me a legitimate reason to ask her out for dinner, to say thank you. And she said yes. So I picked her up and... Um, no, I didn't put on my best pair of pants and everything. I didn't shave. I thought, I'm not going to try to impress her because either she likes me for who I am or she doesn't. So I, Are you guys taking notes? So don't dress up. Don't shave. <laughs> no, it you gets know. better. It gets better, okay? Talk about sports. <laughs> so I took her to this place, and this was my plan. Because I've been out there. I know the whole game yes and I didn't want to get my feelings involved or hers so the plan was I'm just going to put it all on the table where I come from and you just got a bit Mark knows more but don't ask him it's, it's okay it's the past I'm a new person now I want to focus on that but anyway I thought she's got to know who she's dealing with and I thought, either she's not going to ever want to talk to me anymore after this, which is good, then we got it all settled and right from the start, or we'll see where this will lead. Well, I'm married to her. So you kind of... She had a few things to tell me as well that I did not expect. And, you know, like I said, none of us are born Christian. Most of us are really good at... Being hypocrites, that's what the Bible calls it. You know, we play Christian or we play nice. Uh, first of all, you can't fool God. Second of all, it's 
oh, it's really tiring. And it's, it's a dishonor to God. We don't need to put everything on the table, but we should be able to be sincere. Jesus speaks a lot about hypocrites in the Bible, and they usually don't get a good rap from him. Hypocrisy is not the way to go. Um, so, yeah, she told me a few things. Uh, make a long story short, um, she wanted to get married. She already had a daughter. I didn't know that. That was news to me. Um, but I was an illegitimate child. That's how I grew up, so I knew exactly where she's coming from. And um, obviously, other men dumped her for that reason. But, you know, we all have our story. And honestly, I could have had children by God's grace. At least I don't know of. I don't have any uh, prior to getting married. So we went on and... Well, I, in general, I don't believe in long engagement periods because if you like somebody, you're playing with fire. And if you play with fire, you get burnt. Okay? And Paul says that in uh, 1 Corinthians 7. He says, it's better to get married than to burn. So he had a pretty good idea what it means. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I'm trying to tell my children in this warped world we live in, sex is a gift from God to man being enjoyed uh, in marriage, it's nothing ugly, it's nothing bad, it's not disgusting, it's, it's, it's a good thing. But when you like, a, when a man and a woman like each other, that's part of the plan. And I think if you're prolonging um, that too long, I, I had many couples in counseling who didn't do well with that. Plus us, knowing what we're talking about, her having a child, I was 29, and then, wow, she must have a really straight line to God because her prayers seemed to get answered more than mine, you know. Um, I was basically... The, the prayer of the righteous man avails much, nah, this, See, this is what happened. She, she had it already all figured out, and I still didn't have a clue because um, she told her mom, who at that time was uh, diagnosed with cancer, stage four, and um, her mom told her, she just has one wish for her before she passes away, is that she finds a husband and, and, and a father for, for her daughter. So she said, well, I met somebody. And, you know, it's like this was a deal they had with God. That's how I look at it. Like, yeah, I mean, okay, I must be the one, you know. And um, so. <laughs> you were the chosen one. I guess. I asked her out in the June this is funny. I asked her, we were walking. It's uh, all funny, it, it, was, it was August 25th, I remember, because that's, a, that's not when we got married, but that's when we were walking, uh, just taking a, a hike, and I asked her if she wanted to get engaged to me. And she said, yeah. And we keep on walking. I think, I don't want to be engaged. I want to marry her. So 10 minutes, I ask her if she wants to marry me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> New definition of the fast well, mover? yeah, I know. I thought, what is this? I don't want to be engaged. I want to marry. You know, let's get this. Let your yes be a yes and your no a no. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm a simple guy. Uh, so, yeah, she said yes. And then we thought, oh, you know, we're going to wait till spring or... Um, Summer, it's nice. And then we thought, who cares whether it's nice? Let's get married. So we got married in November. Wow. And um, her mom actually made it to the wedding. 
wow. which was a big sure. um, answer to prayer for her. And um, well, now we have six children. Well, God's been good. And, uh, you know, our experiences, just remember, narrative is descriptive, not prescriptive. So, but, you know, for all of you who are engaged, you can go fast if the Lord's answering your prayer. But well, um, I asked her three questions before I asked her if she would marry me because those were, th- and all you guys out there, don't have a list with 30 points, okay, that she has to fulfill. You'll never get married, okay? I tell guys three to five points. It shouldn't be, well, she has to be blonde. If that's non-negotiable, don't date a girl that's not blonde, okay? That's a stupid thing to do. No, you kind of got to be a little bit straightforward, sober about it. So, and you got to be honest with yourself. I had three things that, to me, were non-negotiable. I thought, I don't ever want to talk about this. The rest, and there will be enough rest, we'll figure out somehow. So I asked her, first of all, if she wanted to have children. Because interestingly enough, there's couples that get married, even in a Christian church. They don't, well, one of them wants to have children. The other one doesn't. Big problem. Big problem. Question number two, if God blesses us with children, well, we already had one to start out with, but if there's more, <laughs> even. I ask her if she wants to be a mom or if she wants to have a career. Because I didn't, I, th- I thought if God gives us, whoever I'm marrying, children, I want to be a family, and I want my children to have a mom who's there for them. And the third question is I asked her, if God ever makes it clear to us that it's time to move for ministry purposes, wherever, and I really meant wherever, are you willing to pack up and go? And there's some people that say, well, I was born here and I'm going to die here. I'm not going anywhere. That's fine. But honestly, I would not have married her Mm -hmm. if that would have been her opportunity. She told me a few years into it because we moved a lot. We had four international moves in eight years, being from country to, well, sometimes from continent to continent. And I said, I didn't know you were being so serious about that. (laughs) I didn't either. It was just an option, a door that I wanted to keep open. Three points. I don't know what yours are, but a little piece of advice, my five cents of wisdom for whatever it's worth, keep the list short. One more piece of advice. I have two girls. They're not married yet. Um. <laughs> look, look hard, brother. I've been looking too. I've been looking too. You know, the girls always wait for the knight in shining armor, you know, a superhero. And I tell my girls, and it works both ways. I said, you know, princes only marry princesses. So you should probably look more towards who you are than scale around for the right guy to show up on the horizon. Um, And at the end of the day, none of us are super marriage material. Um, Amen. We're trophies of grace, and by grace and forgiveness, we can lead a marriage, and we can be a family and raise children. Martin, along with what you've shared and our time with you behind the scenes this weekend, and both Ted's time with you and my time with you, there's been a recurrent theme that you've been sharing with us and sort of mentoring and shepherding us which is really in both Philippians and Hebrews, putting off those things that are behind and pressing forward. Uh, 
to Christ and to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And I want to ask you um, two areas, okay? One in the home, how necessary that is to leave things behind. And you've already shared in your testimony the necessity of, hey, there are things that are part of our stories. They point to Christ, but that's where it stops. We leave those things behind and realize we're new creations in Christ and we need to keep running that race and keep moving forward and pursuing Christ. Can you speak to that specifically as a father and as a husband and a shepherd in the home, how necessary that truth is? We think of that in the Christian life and maybe even in church and ministry, but homes tend to be places where the past can keep on popping up over and over again and being very destructive. So part one, the home as a, as a husband and as a father, okay. that principle being applied. And then number two in the local church. Yeah, I touched on it briefly in the sermon this morning, and it's something that I'm just, I haven't arrived, but I'm learning, and I see the importance and the necessity of it. Um, it's forgiveness. I, I found people have a tendency to have lists. Some of them even have it on paper. They write down the bad things that happened to them. And it's a prison for themselves primarily. This is, 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 it's just not a good thing. Uh, God, on the other hand, says, if we confess our sins, okay, there's no acts of repentance, as we know, in the Catholic Church where you put peas in your shoes and you walk for 20 miles or you, you go up and down the stairs on your knees until you're bleeding. This concept is completely foreign. The concept that we find in the Bible is in 1 John 1, starting uh, verse 8, says, If we say we have no sin, we're liars, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, and that's all there's to it, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from everything. And He puts that stuff in a picture in the deepest spot of the sea, and he will never remember it. I know this doesn't come to us naturally, but that's the example we have in the Bible. And any kind of relation, and you know, nowadays the divorce rate among Christians is apparently pretty much the same as in the world. And there's one primary reason for that. It's a lack of forgiveness. So, forgiveness, it goes all across the board with my wife, with my children. And with forgiveness, I mean, we don't go up to them and say, I'm sorry. We say, please forgive me for, and then we name the sin. I had to ask my kids for forgiveness. You know, um, there's things, ways I reacted that weren't appropriate. Doesn't matter what they did. I'm responsible for my reactions. And how, see, forgiveness is one of those things people will only learn if they see it practiced and applied in their own lives. You can teach about forgiveness all you want. Your kids and my kids will only learn what forgiveness is when they see it in your life, practiced or applied 
for their sin. And um, this might sound really simple, and you probably expected something much more deep. Um, I found the longer I'm in ministry, basics. Basics matter. I was having the conversation over lunch uh, with the people that sat at the table. If you want to bring down a house, it's very simple. Mess with the foundation. And we have a tendency to think, oh, I got that under my belt. I got that figured out. Let's get into the lofty theological discussions. They're good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the dean of a training center. There's nothing against that. But they'll never forget the basics. And they're pretty simple. I mean, they're not, they're simple to understand. They're kind of hard to apply. It's really hard. I don't know how you are walking up to somebody and say, forgive me. I, whatever it is. In marriages, huh, I've been there, you know, and I, I could kick myself for it. One day, two days, three days. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to, no, not this, I'm not going to start. How stupid. <laughs> really, how stupid. You know what it says in Ephesians, don't let the sun go down over your anger. So here's a little piece of advice. Move up north because the sun doesn't settle for half a year. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, don't do that. I mean, you get let me the... Tell you, let me tell you, Canadians can be unforgiving. So that's not really true. <laughs> no, keep a short record. And the Bible talks a lot about it. You know why? Because it's so important. And then, Martin, extending that with... You've talked about it with family members and your wife, but... In the local church, yeah. which is really like the family of God and yeah. speaking to the need for a church to be able to put things behind them and to move forward and to keep our eyes focused on Christ and keep moving as opposed to the distractions, maybe. And maybe you can speak to some of the distractions that come up, too, both in the family and the household of God, where we kind of get suckered into spinning around a little bit in the same place rather than just moving forward. Yeah. And let me connect church with family. Um, Now, don't misquote me. I'm not saying to be an elder, you have to be married and have children, okay? I think Paul wasn't married. He was an elder. Jesus wasn't married, definitely not married. Um, But I do think it's helpful to be married and have children because I can't tell you how often I think when I see at the dynamic, when I look at the dynamics in the church and what's happening, just seems kind of familiar. Like, <laughs> you can practice at home in your family the principles that apply in the church family. And they're pretty much identical. They're pretty much identical. You know, there's those moments, for example, I know all, <clears throat> all the parenting books say you should never say that to your children. You know what you should never say? I have told you a thousand times. I don't know what's your favorite number, okay? Um, As a pastor, you sometimes think, hmm, it feels like I've preached on this for a year or two, and um, 
Hello? <laughs> Which is nothing new. You know what was the standard reaction when Jesus taught his disciples? Have you ever noticed when you read the Gospels? What's the standard reaction? Could you explain we didn't get it? No, really. That's usually what happens. It takes a while to catch on. And you know what? And Mark can correct me. Um, I told my children, and I will in the future, I told you a thousand times or ten thousand or whatever, because I think even Jesus did it. He didn't use the exact same words. But there was a time where he's telling his disciples, so long I've been with you and you still don't get it. Which is basically the same thing. Now, see, it depends. You know that. It's not just the words you use. It's the tone you put to the words. I mean, you can say this in a real bad way. Or say, guys, isn't it time to grow up? Isn't it time to take the next step? And this is a principle we see all over. Hebrews 5, the writer of Hebrews says... You should be teachers. And then he says, but I got to start all over again. I got to feed you milk because you can't take meat. Now, my sons, this is how I explain this to my congregation. My 20-year-old son, well, basically all my sons, are taller than I am. And not a bit, like three or four inches. Now, picture, my oldest son is 21. Can you imagine me holding my son here, feeding him a bottle? You know, I take him up here so he can burp. I mean, like, dude, there's something wrong with your son. But the same applies in the church. And come on, don't tell me there's not. I don't know if there's holy frustration. I try to tell myself there is. You're like, man, it's time to grow up. Come on. So, um, but then don't forget, there's probably things in your life. I know there's some in my life. I get the teaching, but I have a hard time living up to it. So basically, things usually take longer than we would like to. With our children, with the church, don't forget, with your own life too. So, so it's helpful. And, um... Again, Jesus knows this. You know, we rebuke, we reproof, we're long-suffering. Uh, don't grow bitter. We'll give it another shot. You'll go at it again. The goal is growth. The goal is bring them from here to there to there. Bring them to maturity. This applies for the children. This applies for spiritual children uh, in the church. And... um yeah, I'm glad I have a training ground at home. Let's put it that way. Well, and, and one of the things that you testify to, which, you know, is really a through line from the things that you've spoken about this morning. When our sufficiency is in Christ and his plan, there is a grace and a patience yeah. that we can have where things don't have to happen. Boom. I said it once. The house is perfect. The church is perfect. You know, the Lord is, as you pointed out this morning, infinitely greater than we are, and his plans are better than we are. And, and there's this really awesome story. Who much is forgiven. How does it go on? 
He loves much. If we forget what's been forgiven in our lives, we can get really hard and even feel right about it. We, we become Pharisees. Now, this is not to, you know, lower the standard or the level. Loving much also implies speaking the truth. I didn't get to that verse this morning, but um, in Proverbs 27, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse the kisses of those who hate you. So love, you got to love somebody enough not to just accept everything and think it's all it's okay. If you really love somebody, you speak truth into their life with a good intention, but you got to speak truth. And believe me, sometimes it's really hard. But would it be loving not to warn somebody who is blind and can't taste anything and he's in a house that's burning down? I mean, I'd probably yank him out of there and he'd think, what's wrong with you? Well, he was not aware there's a fire. So out of love, love sometimes has to take drastic action, but it's done out of love. And that's, that's very important. And even, Martin, as you've pointed out privately with me, even if that means you're going to get hurt or there's going to be resistance oh, to that, right? You will get hurt. In fact, you will expect resistance at well, times. Hey, when you signed up to become a Christian, what did you sign up for? Smooth sailing to heaven, no problems, no health issues, financially blessed all the way, right? Is that what Jesus tells the disciples? You know, it's interesting. When we want to evangelize, we should learn from Jesus. We should always learn from Jesus. But Jesus, you know, people come to him and say, oh, we want to be your followers. He said, are you sure? He says, well, you know, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I don't even have a rock where I can lay my head. You want to be, my, you want to be a disciple of mine? You go to Luke 14. He says, oh, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, and, you know, the whole nine yards and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. If you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on to say, well, you got to count the cost. And I know salvation is free, but it will cost you your life. Because he becomes Lord of your life. This is a message, unfortunately, not often preached. Not even in evangelistic crusades. I'm, I wish I could tell you something else. But whatever I heard in Switzerland in the last 10 years that went under the banner of being evangelism, there was nothing about counting the, crop, the costs. Now, Jesus, and this always strikes me, I mean... The upper room discourse, the last night that Jesus spends with his disciples. You know, if you're going to die tomorrow, you know you're going to die tomorrow. You have your best friends assembled. You're going you're to talk about the things that really matter. And that's what Jesus did. So he's preparing his disciples. How on earth? Have you ever wondered, how would you prepare the disciples that have been waiting Forever, for the Messiahs to come. And now he's telling them, I'm going to die. How are you going to prepare them? You know how he prepares them? He goes, ah, oh, don't worry, it'll all work out. It'll be okay. It's not that bad. 
He comforts them because he loves them with the truth. He says, you know what? They hated me, and they'll hate you. And they persecuted me, and they'll persecute you. In the world, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome. See, we should, we all grew up, I call it, in a spiritual Disneyland. We don't know what persecution is. The worst we probably experienced, or I don't know, maybe some of you have a different history, but most of us in the West, the worst we experienced is ridicule. But there's people, there's some organizations that say, at this point of time, every year, 600,000 Christians die because of their faith. And they rather die than renounce the faith. So, I'm not looking for hard times, okay? I'm not praying for hardship or trials. But I'm praying that when they come, and they do, because Jesus said it. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live a godly life will suffer persecution. How much? To which degree? I don't know. God knows. But persecution and trials have a purifying effect. I'm sure you have stories, and so do I, of things where if God would have asked you beforehand, well, I got this planned. Are you in? You'd say, no, thank you. And God has walked you through. And looking back, you can give testimony that in those hard times, you learned things. You would never have learned any other way. So I'm not looking for those things. But I know First Peter says he tests us if it's necessary. And he tests us so we come out the other side purer than gold. And you know what? No testing, no growth. And as he says, in addition to that, as we lose our souls or we lose our lives, we gain it. Yeah. Martin, I have to get you to the airport. Um, and Sorry. I, no, you're good. You're good. And I want to thank you for this time. Um, typically, at the end, parents, you can go get your kids at any time. You can get up and stand out and walk out any time. There's no formality on that level here. We just want to be pleasing to the Lord, and we know some of you have to go. Typically, at the end of this time, we take a few minutes just to break up into small groups and pray. Uh, for one another and pray for some of the things that we've heard. Martin, let me ask before we let you go, how can we be praying for you, for EBTC, and for your church plant, for your family and your six children? I'm a father of six children, and I'm straight from my heart. The ultimate test of when we say we believe in the sovereignty of God is raising children. Because there comes a point in time you can't tell them what to do anymore. You just completely got to entrust them to the Lord. That's hard. It's like the prodigal son. You know, the father let him go. He knew he was up to no good, but he let him go. He even gave him the money because he trusted God. So you probably should pray more for Gabby and I to be good parents. Because we are saved, we are new covenant people, we have a new heart, we have the new spirit, but we still fail raising our children. So pray for us that we'll do 
that we'll be faithful raising our children. I think that's the best thing for us as a family. EBTC, we're doing well. That's a training center. We have four locations. It's a bivocational school. Um, we have about 350 uh, on-site students and 350 online students. So there's hope in Europe. There's people that love the Word of God and want to learn. Um, pray that God will bless those students, not just to learn it. Because I keep on telling them, I said, I don't care if you graduate. They look at me like, what do you mean? I said, no, graduation is a paper. All, all that your, your certificate says, you read an amount of books, you obviously understood part of what's in there, and you could regurgitate it. What I would like to see is, I, would li- I hope I see you in five or ten years, and you tell me how God has used that truth to bless the church and your families. That's real fruit. So um, pray for our students that they're not just students, but they become disciples. They learn to obey and actually do it. And for us as a church, we are blessed. We started seven years ago from from scratch, three families, including us. Now we're in our third membership um, round, which will put us to 70-plus members. We have 20 to 30 regular attendees on Sunday. They are up for the next membership round. And uh, about 50 to 60 children. We have lots of young families. Um, for Swiss circumstances, we're a mega church almost. Uh, really, <laughs> it's a big church. And we're busting by the seams. We really need a new location to meet. And... Um, that's what we're praying for there. We share all the same requests, really, for parenting and for the church and, and for fruitfulness, Mark. Well, one smart guy once said, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. I don't know where it's at, but it's somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> um, anyways, what we're going to do, listen, thank you for being with us here this afternoon and, and for this day. It's been a blessed Lord's Day. Um, I'm just going to ask if you would just break up into small groups and just take 10 minutes just to pray for what you've heard, pray for one another. Um, Also, if you can remember to pray for our brothers and sisters um, in Ukraine as well. And uh, it's a sweet time for us to gather to see, you know, at the end of the days you hear Martin, you say different language, different place, different size, however you want to look at it. The needs are still the same, aren't they? And even better than that, our God is still the same, and he's a gracious God who's, who's worthy of our trust and our patience and forgiving others as he's forgiven us. So let's do that together. And then what I will do is, um, Willie, why don't you come up? Because I'm probably going to be on my way to the airport. Um, I'm sorry for running, but I really I got to catch a flight. Um, after around 10 minutes, if you just come up and close everybody in prayer. Is that cool? Thank you.